0: Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending May 14th, 2022. This week, it's Disney quarterly earnings time. I'm Kim Hollis, and I would buy Twitter, but I put the sale on hold because of the bots. <laughs> With me are Tim Brighty, writer and gamer who really needs some of those Twitter bots to follow him.
1: I've been on Twitter since 2009, and I still have under 300 followers. Um, (laughs) My dad joined Twitter in 2018 to yell at conservative morons and has more followers than I do.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And as a reminder, Tim was in USA Today pretty much every Sunday for five calendar years.
0: (laughs) Also, David Mumpower, who is mourning the loss of Monsters Cafe at Universal Studios, Florida.
2: I mean, when you think Universal Studios the last thing you think about is good restaurants, they just closed the only one that is worth a damn at either park. <laughs> what are you doing?
0: And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial. Pause for applause. No?
3: No? Oh man. <laughs> Please clap.
0: in our deep dive this week disney gave us mixed news with their quarterly earnings report missing the target on earnings but blowing past estimates on subscribers for their streaming services david what's the bottom line here
2: First of all, I want to reiterate, there's a scam in play whenever we talk about these things, and that's analysts come out with their own projections, and then when a company fails to meet those projections, the analysts are like, well, they didn't do as good as they should have. No, what happened was the analysts made poor projections. Why is there no accountability for the analysts who constantly overestimate everything? And the answer is because it's just pointless media talk that means nothing. Disney's revenue is way up, way up. They have effectively survived the pandemic, and they have proven a way where they are going to be more efficient moving forward. And we saw this, best of all, with the theme park division, which honestly is the one that's nearest and dearest to my heart, where the theme park division's revenue more than doubled. Is that misleading? Yes, slightly. The reason why it's misleading is Disneyland wasn't even open during the fiscal second quarter last year. But even if you ignore all that, the parks division's revenue, its operating income year over year increased by more than $2 billion, which is impressive because its operating income this time was $1.7 billion. Yes, it lost $400 for the same quarter last year. Disney has exploded in popularity even as all of these ridiculous negative headlines are coming out about it. And the proof is in the pudding with streaming services because let me go ahead and say this right now. Disney Plus is going to catch Netflix this year when you factor in the three-headed monster – Hulu and ESPN plus Raul and I said a few months ago, we thought this was going to happen. And that seemed like we were really out on a limb at the time. And now it seems like we're just stating the obvious because as a reminder, Netflix subscribers dropped 200,000 from the previous quarter. Disney Plus subscribers, just Disney Plus added 7.9 million against an estimate that was either 3.5 million or 5 million, depending on when you asked. So, everybody for some reason held Disney up to a higher standard than Netflix, which shouldn't happen. And it still cleared that hurdle easily and left everybody going, wait a minute, how did Disney Plus do that? Raul, are you with me on this? oh yeah very
3: impressive I think even the the mixed news through Wall Street for a curve because generally after one of these quarterly earnings calls either the stock price goes sky high or drops, right down. And this time it, it did neither. So clearly the wall street analysts were confused as to what move to make. And in the end, they made no move at
2: all. I can we- actually add some color to that role because mm-hmm. I was watching Benzinga live stream the quarterly earnings call, and they were showing the stock price and after hours trading. And Kim and I were having a field day with it because it would go up $2 and then it would go down $4 and then it would go up again. And by the end of the time, the conversation ended, it was at almost exactly the same spot as where it started, which just reinforces you're absolutely right. Nobody knew what to make of this because they wanted a clear cut win or loss. And this was something that was harder to evaluate.
3: Yeah, this does speak a lot to how much weight the brokers put on streaming numbers. The truth is, if you want something tangible, you look at their earnings and revenue. And on that front, Disney didn't necessarily do as well as had been estimated it did fine, it just didn't do as well as estimated. And as we learned from Netflix over the last couple of quarters, you could do fine, but if you don't do as well as others expect you to, then they're going to punish you for that. But all that matters in this modern industry these days is how many subscribers do you have? And when they announced 7.9 million subscribers added to Disney Plus versus an estimate of 5 million, that is a staggering number. That's a 50% Thanks increase over what was estimated and they show no signs of stopping. They will constantly caution you and say, now, now, let's not not get ahead of ourselves and you never know what it's going to be like next quarter. Things might be down, but at this point, Disney's on pace, as you said, to catch Netflix within a year with a streaming service that is relatively new. It's just astounding what they're doing. Uh, They they tell you, of course, how so many of their subscribers are in fact adults without children. They keep they keep bringing additional adult content to the platform to make it more appealing to a broader audience than just children because people still have this perception that, oh, Disney, that's kids stuff. But they are broadening their appeal. They are increasing their subscribers. They are increasing their reach overseas. I believe they announced that they'd be uh, launching Disney Plus in 50 new territories in the next year, including. That is
2: correct. They're going to add 51 new territories. And I want to circle back to something you said just for a second because it's important. Year over year, Disney Plus is up 33%. If you're running any company on the planet and you have increased your customer base, by 33%, you have really done something. And Raul was kind enough the other day to fact check something in, li- in real time while I was working on a different project. And what we realized is across the three services, ESPN+, Hulu, and Disney+, they have 205 million subscribers. Netflix total... which means the gap is already down to 16.6 million customers after a very brief period. We cannot emphasize this enough. As of two days ago, Disney Plus is two and a half years old. (laughs) Yeah, and this
3: Unprecedented growth is not going to stop because they still have these new markets to spread into while its biggest competitor, Netflix, has pretty much expanded into every market. 50, 51 more markets for Disney Plus means tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions more subscribers in a year. Unprecedented Opportunity here for them to add additional subscribers and they lean into that saying, look how we're actually creating content for those markets, content that is not necessarily in English or content that is produced in these foreign uh, markets they leaned into in the uh, in the earnings call they leaned into a new upcoming project called Nautilus based on the Captain Nemo submarine it's going to be an english language series but it's produced out of their what they call EMEA or Europe Middle East Africa region with uh, an international cast and crew this is uh, this is one show that they're really going to be marketing heavily not only in the US but to their international markets as well they have broad horizons ahead of them and in the meantime their biggest competitor Netflix has essentially stalled out. They are Netflix is looking to see where where do they have growth what opportunities do they have and right now their best opportunity for growth is to get people to stop sharing passwords so that they become their own paying subscribers rather than co-tailing off of somebody else's subscription.
2: So Kim we were talking about this the other day what is the billion dollar question for Disney that they answered? that we did not even know was a question.
0: How much did they pay to get back their Marvel shows that
2: had been showing on Netflix? It's crazy, isn't it? We heard this at the time, and what we thought had happened was that Disney had ended its licensing agreement with Netflix for Jessica Jones, for Daredevil, for Iron Fist, for Luke Cage, for the Defenders, and for uh, The Punisher. That is not what happened at all. They paid $1.023 billion To end that, it wasn't that they let it go. It wasn't that they were listing some sort of, you know, here's our opportunity cost of doing business for this. No, they cut a check because Disney Plus wants complete control of its entire Marvel library. And they want to make sure it all goes through Kevin Feige. And we know this because I'm going to go ahead and give something away from our green lights and cancellations. They also canceled Hulu's MODOK, which was the last non-Disney created show in existence with the Marvel brand. So it is 100% now under Marvel's control and under Disney's control. And Rollo, I have to ask you, would you have done this? Would you have paid a billion dollars?
3: It's a tough call, but I think this has to have been done with some kind of thought put into it you don't spend a billion dollars without doing some kind of analysis on that Disney has decided that there is a billion dollars worth of content in bringing those shows over to their platform rather than letting it continue to run on somebody else's platform is that accurate they certainly leaned into it when they when those shows came over to Disney plus from Netflix first there was the uncertainty there was there was a lot of rumors going around on the web and finally the announcements came out is that a billion dollars worth of marketing unto itself no not necessarily but now can they look at their numbers and say look we got this many more subscribers on our platform because now we have Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Netflix doesn't again I don't know that that's really something that they can quantify when you then stack on top of that the the truths so that they can now more properly manage their properties maybe it starts making a lot more sense in in the the same way where if Disney could obtain full control of Spider-Man and take it away from Sony, it may cost them a lot. But in the end, they come out ahead because now they get to decide the fate of that property and, and how that character shows up in their future projects. It's difficult to quantify, but I think it ultimately makes sense, especially with their moves that they're doing. We're seeing this from all the streamers where they are some streamers that license content are losing that content. Other streamers that have historically uh, leased out their content to others are bringing it home. And it simply means that everybody's building these walled gardens to make their streaming services more appealing at the cost of maybe actually damaging. Being their competitor. Netflix is less now because it doesn't have Daredevil and Jessica Jones. So, can you put a number on how much you have hurt Netflix there? I don't know, but all of that combined, does that amount to a billion dollars? To Disney, it did. It was worth it for them. They spent a billion dollars and they got all that benefit. And at the same time, they hurt Netflix doing it.
2: And what's fascinating to me about the whole thing is that in 2009, Disney paid $4 billion for the entirety. Of Marvel. Now they will pay a billion dollars just to get a handful of shows back from a competitor, because that's how important the wall garden concept Raul was mentioning has become to their business operation, their flywheel, I believe they called it, didn't they, Raul? Yeah, I love that <laughs> so- term. So, Kim, I have to ask you, what do you think of this move? Would you have done it? That's a tough question. I think
0: that they wanted to do whatever they had to do to get the properties back. And I get that. I think they wanted to have Daredevil under their banner. And I think that the other thing is some of the shows that were on Netflix are incredibly strong. Um, They're really they were really good shows Jessica Jones Daredevil in particular have a great following so now that some of those characters could potentially appear and potentially have appeared in the MCU i i think that it's overall worth it for them it does seem like an excessive amount though.
1: Was this Disney paying a billion dollars to get these shows from Netflix? Is that was that something that was sort of buried in this call? Let me jump in there before David actually explains it because they because <laughs> I because I feel like this is something that Netflix is gonna go like, we got a billion dollars from Disney. <laughs> Please love us, Wall Street. <laughs> Disney concealed
3: it in a lot of jargon. They didn't say specifically what this write down was. They said that they They spent a billion dollars to bring content into their platform. They didn't really break it down. So first we had to conclude that, oh, what they meant was actually those Netflix shows. And then what we had to decide was, was that a billion dollars that they wrote in a check? Or was this a billion dollars in lost expected revenue from licensing that content out? Yeah, it wasn't entirely clear, but David did the uh, footwork on that one.
2: There were a lot of media analysts doing the exact same sort of thing what happened when I was doing the research on this, I saw this item immediately. Because if you go to the official WaltDisneyCompany.com website, you pull up investor relations, you can download all of their previous earnings reports for the last four or five years. Okay, so you can actually look at what Disney has posted in terms of uh, net revenue, gains, losses, everything. And generally speaking, they're pretty good at hiding things. And so it leads to some interpretation. Like I saw some absolutely ridiculous stuff. When we were having the Milan discussion about Disney Premier Access and how much it was making. There were some people who just did not understand spreadsheets at all trying to calculate things (laughs) from that. But this was a different thing. They actually put the wording in there where... It was, it was like you could interpret it any way you wanted, but then eventually Disney answered questions about it. And then during the earnings call, they just came out and said it. We had to pay a billion dollars to get back the stuff that was ours. And so originally, I took it as operating costs. And Raul and I were having a live conversation during the initial release of the earnings report, like we usually do. I took it to mean they were saying Netflix would have paid us this much for the next calendar year for this or the next three years or whatever. And it seemed like you know a high number, but not an unreasonable number. But no, that wasn't what it was. There was a penalty clause in the contract and Disney was saying our earnings are this because we had to spend $1.023 billion on this thing, which means when you're hearing Disney didn't meet its estimates, that's not true. Disney willingly chose to make $1 billion less this quarter, but because that's how important this entire thing is to them. And that's the crux of this conversation. Whenever we talk about from now on how important it is to have that firewall where you have your content and nobody else can touch it, Disney believes that exclusive access to its own Marvel content is worth $1 billion in cash. And that does make you wonder what Sony would want if Disney came and said, it's time for us to take back (laughs) Spider-Man.
0: So before we talk about the ratings, Tim, let's review the box office
1: real quick. Uh, you, you thought Disney's earnings were good before. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, we talked about it last week with only the Thursday number, but Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness uh, had a weekend of $187 million. Is that good? That sounds like it's good. That's, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Uh, we we were wondering if it would crack 200 uh, million based on that that number, it, and it it seemed things seem pointed in that direction, but didn't quite get there. But you, you can't complain about this in in any way, shape, or form. It it is still a pandemic. Spider Man was the the exception, not not the rule, when it comes to to movies. But this just shows that people will go out to see something they want to see, especially the the Marvel stuff.
2: Tim, how much does it concern you that as we speak right now, it looks like it's going to drop about 65 to 70% on the weekend, and we'll probably earn less in weekend two than the Batman. Is that a source of concern for you? Um yes and
1: no. I mean, it there were people who came out of it saying they loved it, and there were people who were saying they were not thrilled with it. So I think this is I mean, one of the more polarizing uh marvel movies and i think that may have something to do with it i'm not really that concerned about the 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 future this this was a highly anticipated movie but i think like what the public uh, or um word of mouth may have may, may have heard it heard it some somewhat
3: yeah i'd say honestly this is very impressive considering the vocal backlash in the community and on social media the fact that it has done as well as it has in
1: its second weekend is very impressive Yes, uh Cinema Course Score, which is still sort of a thing, came with a B plus, And that's if it if it's not an A not good. If it's not an A, that's it's essentially basically it's an F. <laughs> yeah, that's is <laughs> the way the way this the, the uh they, they they work. So there, there was definitely some negative uh feedback from it from from audiences.
2: I call it the bad student C. That just means teacher is tired of trying. So they're just gonna <laughs> pass the kid on to the next teacher.
1: So yeah, I'm not Terribly concerned about it. That's not the end of the world. Again, it's theater behavior is completely different now. So sure. I mean, is there a chance it doesn't earn as much as the Batman? Sure, possibly. But I'm not I wouldn't be concerned.
2: Yeah. My thing is more along the lines of just if you look at it analytically, it's going to drop somewhere around 120 million week over week. The Batman opened 50, 54 million lower than Doctor Strange and yet is going to probably beat it by three or four million in its second weekend. It's hard to write that off as anything other than Doctor Strange 2 not being as well received as maybe Marvel would hope. And I feel like at the risk of offending my wife, whom I love dearly, I think when you hire Sam Raimi, you kind of <laughs> accept the fact that there's going to be some eccentricities that might not work for everyone. They work very, very well for my wife and I, I can assure you of that, mm-hmm. but it's not for everyone. And the people who it's not for have loudly, loudly complained. So, you know, it's made $550 million in less than 10 days. So it looks like it's going to make a billion dollars worldwide. It is impossible for me to say at this point that anything that makes a billion dollars worldwide is, you know, anything other than good. But that is that second weekend number alarms me more than it does you. That's what I'll say.
1: Okay, fair enough. I just feel like it's box office is such a different animal now, even than than two years ago.
2: We're going to tell our kids about box office legs, aren't we? Yeah, there was a film about a Greek wedding. (laughs)
1: Back in our day, oh my you saw the movie and it's 28th week in theaters. Right. Anyway, we have the Nielsen ratings for Monday, April 11th to Sunday, April 17th. Uh, this seems like a pretty dull week, but let's, let's see what we got. Uh, I do regret to inform you that the most watched program of the week is the ultimatum, marry or move on. Uh, 1.1 billion minutes. I, I apologize on behalf of society. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Knocked Bridgerton off the top. We, I mean, we saw it last week, and that was only a three-day number, so it seemed pretty likely that this was going to happen. But I, I'm, what is wrong with you people?
2: I mean, we knew it was going to happen. I I said the other day, and I mean it, it is half 90 Day Fiance and half Temptation Island. And you just hear those concepts and you realize, yeah, (laughs) Netflix can probably make that work. But we're (laughs) really trending toward a grim future for Netflix, where it is just like every bad reality show possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is it Cake Marriage Edition? Feels like it might happen now.
1: (laughs) uh there's are there really that many train wreck people in the, in, in the world to fill all these reality shows i, gu- I guess there are because they just keep making them
2: i mean QAnon exists so <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh boy all right uh second still bridgerton uh 885 million minutes as it begins its descent down the chart um Moon Knight in third 638 minutes now with three episodes still good I'm curious if well we're about or we're a couple weeks away from getting the Ozark back which is actually not on the list this week for the first time in a, uh in a, in a while so I am feeling that that will ruin its chances of of being the the top show because this this seems to be doing very well this is right about
3: when the series starts getting very let's say unusual <laughs> so it's a wonder then whether audiences get turned off by the Rather unusual sharp turn that the narrative takes, or if it's intriguing enough to keep people coming back to find out just what the hell's going on.
2: Hippo goddess, hippo goddess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, in fourth, we have The Last Kingdom. We've seen that here for a while, 353 million minutes. So a big drop after the top three. Uh, but then we have some new shows. Uh, fifth from Netflix Anatomy of a Scandal, six episodes, 345 million minutes. Uh, starring uh, Sienna Miller uh, and some other people I don't recognize. So I presume
2: they're British. It is pretty remarkable that people will willingly watch Sienna Miller at this point. So there's that. (laughs) But enough of that. Tell me about Obama.
1: Yeah. In sixth hour, great national parks, 313 million minutes for four episodes. Uh, It's a documentary series from Netflix about, well, yes, national parks, but yeah, narrated by
0: Barack Obama.
2: That's my president, baby. (laughs) nice i mean
0: it's nice to see that that got in considering that it's really just a you know not just a but it's a nature documentary yeah
1: it's right
0: there's no murder involved there's no no one was murdered Mm, in these parks talking about how
1: wonderful how wonderful and beautiful these these parks are yeah And, and people still watched it yeah pretty impressive uh meanwhile something else new in seventh this is from amazon outer range six episodes 281 million minutes
0: is that the um
1: josh brolin show that's the one Okay. Yep, we we talked about it. On what's new that week. I definitely remember it. And what did you call it, Roel? It was uh, Cowboys versus Aliens. Yeah, Cowboys series? versus Aliens. It sure sounds, it sure was presented in that way.
3: It, I didn't expect it to do very well, but it does seem to have caught on in a viral fashion. And uh, so Josh Brolin has been doing a lot of uh, marketing for it. Every time he shows up, he also mentions, oh, but I'm also having to go do Dune 2 really soon. So he's very excited about that project for sure. But yeah outer range has caught on with a certain demographic out there and that's good for the show which I just honestly I didn't expect it to do well yeah.
2: if everyone loves these Montana and Wyoming shows so much why does nobody live in Wyoming and Montana <laughs>
1: Uh, I actually do have conflicting information here from both Nielsen and the release dates, because it appears to be an eight-episode season that premiered with the first two episodes on the fifteenth, but they're listing six episodes. So this is I, this number is either uh, fantastic for just two episodes, or the, the the dates I have are are incorrect. So we I guess we have to wait till next week to see what happens. Uh, Again, if you're not a Netflix show or I guess a Marvel series, and you're here, that that's good. So I'll take it uh eighth we have is a cake uh 276 million minutes for its eight episode season ninth inventing anna 257 million minutes for its nine episodes and then something new in tenth green eggs and ham yes the the series 244 million minutes for 23 episodes that's kids programming on netflix i believe yep and the first season uh was in 2019 and then they dropped 10 episodes of a second season on April 8th so this is actually the first full week of it being available so this we won't probably won't see it again after after this but that's uh that that's curious if they were able to somehow turn a dr Seuss uh, book into a series rather than just like say a movie or a, a one-off uh, special
2: and remember when we say kids programming what we really mean is cheap babysitting <laughs> Looking into Coco Melon.
3: Yeah, I I do feel like Netflix has been trying to create its own Coco Melon for some time. Coco Melon, of course, is a licensed program at uh, Netflix, and uh, it looks like they've got a hit with this one. Although I'm still waiting to see what the numbers are for the new season of PJ Masks. We'll
1: be seeing those in I think two or three weeks. Yeah, you 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 called your shot on that one. So we'll we'll have to see. Mm-hmm Right, so in movies, once again led by Encanto, down to five hundred three million minutes, but still here, still being being watched uh, endlessly. And then second is Turning Red, four hundred fifty one million minutes. So right behind it, uh, but hang, still hanging on, not not to the Encanto level, but still doing very well. Is Kim okay? This is usually where she
2: says "woohoo."
0: <laughs>
1: Woo! I I am wondering, and if the you know, success of Disney's earnings call and its subscriber increase. Is related to Encanto in some way because I, I I was going to try to make a joke but it couldn't quite fit it in that you know that was a lot whole lot of not you know not talking about Bruno because I, uh, I do think they're I do think they're I mean I th- definitely think the decision to take that out of theaters which again we discussed happened during a COVID surge and then two months later when it was supposed to be out everything seemed okay uh, but I think they were definitely justified in, in in putting that I think it paid off very well
0: absolutely I can't imagine they could be happier with how. How the whole thing went than yeah
1: than it did, and like I said, even in Conto too, which you know was released in theaters, was in theaters for a month, and then put on this Disney Plus, and and just became this you know phenomenon, and then you know combining that, like I said with, with the third, yeah, turn, moving turning red from theaters to, to streaming, yeah, good call, uh, and then you know next month we are getting Lightyear, which they absolutely have to put in theaters.
2: The other thing we've discussed some offline, but never on the podcasts that matters here during the pandemic, Disney showed a willingness to re-release catalog titles into theaters as a way to juice the box office. And really, it helped out exhibitors. Exhibitors did not show the gratitude they should have for it. So there's a second phase to this nobody's considering. Imagine if three or four years from now they go, turning red now for the first time in theaters. They can still have a box office theatrical release for these titles. They will be beloved by that point. And if Encanto came out in theaters a calendar year after its original release date, I think it would make every bit as much box office the second time as the first because now it's an established brand. So there, there are little ways we can play this. And it's it's like everybody's like, oh, no, it's now and forever. And it's not.
1: So after the Disney domination, um, we get a little weird. In third is The Call, 303 million minutes. Yes, this is a 2013 movie starring Halle Berry.
2: And it vividly reminds me of a conversation that Tim and I had that opening weekend where I informed him that it was a A WWE WWE production. That is correct. Yes. And I still remember him telling me that I was making that
1: (laughs) (laughs) up. Yes, there was a... Brief foray into movie producing. I don't think they've done much in the last few years, but this turned out to be a surprise hit because it opened to, you know, not a big number it earned about 17 million for the weekend which was that was basically double what it was expected to do
2: the grifters at wwe learned very quickly that by hollywood standards they were very subpar grifters and after a few attempts they got out there are only so many the marine movies that you can release but this was pretty much their most successful project although i think they also had a hard film that did Uh, okay relative production but this was an unqualified hit and so when i see this on the charts it at least makes sense it's a former number one film although i guess so is without a paddle
1: (laughs) yeah apparently total box office 68 million and like cost 13 million to to produce so yeah this was definitely a, a success why the hell it's here i have no idea but yeah uh, speaking of, I have no idea why, why the hell it's here. In fourth is something called Cleaner, 260 Million Minutes. This is a 2007 thriller film directed by Rennie Harlan and starring Samuel L. Jackson, Ed Harris, Eva Mendez, and Luis Guzman that never released in theaters.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, you got me. We're not even in a new month and definitely didn't just just show up uh, on, on Netflix. But
0: I wonder what people were uh, were trying to watch instead. But what are they looking for? Yeah. Show up.
1: Yeah, maybe they were so excited about that show, the home edit and organizing and cleaning up, they just typed in cleaning so. to Netflix and found that show. <laughs> okay. All right, uh, in fifth we have Hop, two hundred thirty-two million minutes. Uh, the last day of the ratings week, the seventeenth, was Easter Sunday. So sure, we'll we'll, we'll excuse this one. We'll I take feel it. like I feel like we saw this last year too, around Easter. Maybe we'll see it again next week. I'm gonna guess maybe not, but yeah, that's 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 why it's here. Uh, Moana is in six from Disney Plus, 195 million minutes. So yeah, we're into some some weak numbers already. And then some stuff we saw last week, seventh catch and release, 182 million minutes. Without a paddle, 178 million minutes. Uh, all the old knives from Amazon, 174 million minutes. And wrapping up movies uh, with 170 million minutes, watch Choose or Die a British horror film that at least is from this year, that, they, that mm-hmm. debuted on Netflix on the 15th of year. I remember when we talked about it. Yep.
2: And I'm going to fact check my own work here. It turns out that The Call and Without a Paddle, both of them debuted in second place, not first. So I was wrong <laughs> there.
1: Yeah, but you, you'd still call The Call a... a uh, ahead. Oh because very, because very of strong because of yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I we can't argue that point. I just don't know why the heck it's here on the ratings, you know, nearly 10 years later. Uh so yeah, not a great week in movies. And once again, given a choice between without a paddle and best picture winner coda, people chose without a paddle because that movie had been, we have never seen Coda. Yes, I know Apple T V Plus has a big uphill battle to get it on on these these charts from Nielsen, but come on people. Jeez.
2: Right now, for me, I am the Professor Farnsworth meme of, I don't want to live on this planet anymore.
1: (laughs) Uh, And Acquired, it is 10 shows now that we've seen before, once again led by Better Call Saul. Uh, Very impressive, actually. 950 million minutes, first 50 episodes, as people pregame for the new season.
2: This actually makes me very happy. I feel like, in a way, Better Call Saul didn't get the attention it deserved early on because it was being compared too much to Breaking Bad rather than allowed to stand on itself. And let me just say, there is a Spinal Tap sequel coming, and I am 100% convinced that wouldn't be happening if Michael McKeon hadn't done what he did on Better Call Saul. I believe that.
1: Yeah, I'm weirdly... Excited for that, even though it's you know been you know forty years since since Spinal Tap, which still holds up to this to this day.
2: Uh, I mean, yeah. it's hard to do old uh, old guy rock and roll parody when Aerosmith is still you know Aerosmith, <laughs> but here we are.
1: Yep, <laughs> you know, Coca still in second, seven hundred nineteen million minutes, and then. Uh, most of the usual suspects in NCIS, Criminal Minds, Grey's Anatomy, uh, Queen of the South still here, saw that last week, uh, Supernatural and its billion episodes, Bluey still makes it from Disney+, Plus. the only non-Netflix show on the acquired list this week, uh, and Shameless in 10 to 301 million minutes. So yeah, not a terribly exciting week in the ratings this week. Uh, I think we're just waiting for that, for Ozark to, to return at this point. Now that it's fallen off the list, just in time to to come back. But that's all I have for the ratings this week.
0: In our green lights and cancellations this week, it was a bloodbath as shows across all networks got the axe, but none more so than at the CW, which is suffering the consequences of its parent companies, Paramount and Warner Brothers, shifting their focus on streaming. Yeah, what we're seeing here with the CW
3: is that this is a network that owns almost none of the content that's on it. In fact, I don't think it owns any of the content that's on the CW. A lot of the shows that are on the CW, particularly those Arrowverse shows, Legends of Tomorrow, The Flash, Black Lightning, Batwoman, all those shows are actually produced by Warner Television, which is now, of course, part of Warner Brothers Discovery. And Warner Brothers Discovery has made it clear, like every other streaming service, that they want content on their streaming services, not on somebody else's channel or somebody else's streaming service. So over time, a lot of these shows are getting canceled and the CW has nothing to show for it. They don't get to license these shows through a streamer because it's not their shows. What this means essentially is that the CW now has no no sugar daddy, if you will. It's a company that is jointly owned by Paramount and Warner Brothers, and neither of them wants a CW as we have discussed. The CW is for sale and it's got nothing. When you are someone who's looking at the CW and considering buying it, you have to look at it and say, what do I get out of this? You're not getting a library of content and you're not getting any shows now because Paramount and Warner Brothers have both decided, no, we're not going to sell shows or dump them onto the CW anymore. We want those shows for our streaming services instead. The CW is not long for this world at this point. They'll last a couple of more seasons. And then at this point, I I think they're going to shut
2: down. My understanding was NextStar has actually bought the CW. Did that not happen? I think Nexstar was a potential buyer. Did that actually uh, go through? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. There's all kinds of they're buying it, but then I'm not seeing a they bought it is what I'm trying to figure out here.
3: Yeah, as we've discussed in the past, there's a couple of very large conglomerates out there that own Local television affiliates out there, when you're watching ABC or NBC or Fox or the CW on television, that local channel is owned by one of a handful of companies. And a couple of those companies are Nextstar and Sinclair. They have, at this point, aggregated many of those local affiliates into their empire, if you want to call it that. So it is in the interest of Nextstar to keep the CW afloat, if only because they need to have Something to show on their local affiliate. If the CW is not around, then they need to figure out what are we going to show on our local channel that was carrying the CW yesterday when the CW is not around today. It's in their interest to keep it. But it's ultimately the long-term solution here for Nextstar Sinclair and everyone else is to realize that local affiliates don't matter anymore when people are simply subscribing to nationwide or even international streaming services like Disney Plus, Netflix paramount plus
2: yeah the too long didn't read of this entire conversation is hbo max and paramount plus just got divorced and hbo max gets the children That is the reality of this situation for the most part. And the reason why we saw so many cancellations is because HBO Max's corporate ownership is cutting costs and they want to have their stuff exclusive to them and it gets messy. And so there was really no point in their continuing with the half measures they've had in place. So this is something we've been predicting for a while. I'm just more than anything else, I'm trying to figure out what's happening because my understanding was Nexstar's acquisition of the CW was going to happen. And there haven't been any updates on that in like three months, which is very, very strange. I guess they realized they weren't getting the value out of it. But Raul is right. They need the content. Oh, boy, they're screwed. Okay. <sighs>
0: In the meantime, sequels are in vogue as a Married with Children animated series is in the works with the original cast on board to do the
2: voices. David Faustino was available?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and a sequel to the Mads Mickelson Netflix thriller Polar
2: is in the works. Is he going to be a pacifist in this one? <laughs>
3: <laughs> will there be any nudity? Yes, yes, there will. <laughs>
0: It is unclear so far on what network or streamer either of those two projects will land.
3: That's really the consequences here of having, say, these third parties produce content. Married with Children, while it did air on the Fox Network back when the Fox Network originally launched, it was produced by Sony Pictures Television, and so we know Sony will sell to the highest bidder, and so it could end up pretty much anywhere. As for Polar, that one was also produced by a third party, and this one's really interesting, and it and it sent me and David down a very weird rabbit hole where Polar itself is based off a graphic novel from Dark Horse Comics. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and Dark Horse Comics, the more you start scratching at the surface, you realize wow, there is something going on here that no one realized. Dark Horse Comics is a third-ranked, maybe fourth-ranked comic book publisher right now, but they publish stuff like The Umbrella Academy. They have published a comic called Resident Alien, who if you've ever watched the Sci-Fi Network, you know what show that is. They are publishing a lot of stuff that is then becoming TV shows and movies, and they have been doing it all on the download this whole time. And uh, there's actually been this publisher out of Scandinavia that realized that, a video game publisher out of Scandinavia that realized that. And so just recently they bought Dark Horse Comics to get all that intellectual property. This is the same company that actually recently bought a whole bunch of intellectual property from Square Enix, including the Tomb Raider property. This company now that now owns both Tomb Raider and the Dark Horse Comics library of content. I mean, I see what you're doing there. They're aggregating a bunch of of intellectual property content, as we've said others would do, and secretly, if you will, although I don't know how secret it is, building themselves this library of content so that maybe one day they're going to emerge on the scene in Hollywood as a new force, or in fact, trying to position themselves to be bought out one day.
2: There's just no way to have this conversation where we don't get deep into the weeds and Rahul and I were both having this problem we were talking about it the other night. Again, the too long didn't read here is we have given all this love to Forest Road Acquisition Corporation, which is the new Kevin Myers thing and the Thomas Staggs thing. And this is basically a different take on the same play, only with a company that has done very little to get its name in the headlines. It's like they're quietly going, shh, We'll give you a check. And Embracer is a name I didn't even know until a calendar year ago. I mean, legitimately. And now I'm looking at them and I'm kind of in awe of this. So if you want to have fun doing some research, look into Embracer and realize that there are some people out there who anticipate the future of media and they are making plays quietly behind the scenes and building... A content machine that is very, very impressive. Raul did a lot of digging on this, and it was was excellent journalism on his part.
0: Over at Hulu, Dollface has been canceled after a second season. And as David mentioned earlier, the stop-motion animated series Marvel's MODOK is over after one season.
3: If only they could have kept every episode of Marvel's MODOK to under $20 million like HBO Max is doing with House (laughs) of the Dragon.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So we're never going to hear that 1990 song. How's it going to be ever again now that MODOK's dead?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Another movie getting a sequel is A Simple Favor with Anna Kendrick, Blake Lively and Paul Figg all returning at Amazon. Was anybody asking for the sequel?
2: I think that you're talking to two of the only people on the planet who want it. Kim, we love that movie, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, it's a great
0: movie. Although it was a well-liked movie at the time it was out. It did well.
2: Well, okay. It is It is dark, though. I mean, a it lot dark. darker than you might think. It is dark.
0: And the Greg Daniels series Upload has been renewed for a third season. Fine. We'll watch the second season. <laughs>
3: I feel like there's a finite narrative here, and maybe maybe they're getting that third season just so they can wrap up the story.
2: Finite narrative? It's about eternity. What do you mean finite? <laughs> no, all kidding aside, when Upload Season 1 ended, I'm not sure there was a show. I anticipated its return more, and that probably... For me, I'm not sure if anything was as impacted by the pandemic as this. It was probably either this or the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Those are the two the two things that I know had the most things changed because of it. And so Kim and I do have about five episodes left in season two, and I hope it gets better, but it has not been the same show as the first season, which is a criticism I have of the flight attendant as well. It, it really, the pandemic has forced people to adapt on the fly. And when you do that, you know, you're taking chances and some of them don't pay off.
0: As always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the past week. And I have been revisiting Fire Emblem Three Houses, which is A video game for the Nintendo Switch, and it's one of my favorite games ever. It has a lot of replay value as the story can just go in any number of directions, depending which house you join, which characters you cultivate close relationships with. And while I'll always identify with the Black Eagles, I'm looking forward to joining the Golden Deer House this time around to see how their story goes. And I guess I'll have to cultivate a relationship with someone other than Felix, who's my favorite of the tertiary characters by far. A new Fire Emblem game called Three Hope will drop on June twenty fourth. So I'm preparing myself. It is the same characters from this game, but a new story and a different combat mechanism, and I am super excited about it. Raul, how
3: about you? So I came to a rather embarrassing realization earlier this week when I realized that the streaming service I've been watching the most over the last several weeks is Paramount Plus. It's not Netflix, it's not Disney Plus. There are three shows, or were up until last week, three different shows that I was watching religiously on Paramount+. That is Star Trek Picard, which just wrapped up, the Halo series, which is still running presently, and Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which actually premiered after Star Trek Picard ended. I can't say that I was necessarily happy to be watching two of those shows. Yes, ultimately, I feel Star Trek Picard is the one that is the worst of the lot, the second season. Is a debacle. It just was very poorly written. It is painful to watch an actor of Patrick Stewart's caliber doing this show. I hope that the third and last season of Star Trek Picard is better. Uh, There were a couple of moments, one moment in the last episode of uh, the season for Star Trek Picard that was entertaining and satisfying, but everything else just suffered immensely narratively wise. It's it's not worth getting into. The Halo series, this most recent episode, while not very good, was pretty much par for the course. The uh, episode last week was unfortunately terrible. It focused on secondary characters in the story that nobody cares about and I feel a lot of people actually actively hate. So the fact that it focused on those characters entirely meant it was a wasted time, a wasted episode entirely. But I, I watched them. And as I also watch Star Trek Stranger Worlds, which focuses on the uh, USS Enterprise, the famous Star Trek ship, 10 years before James Kirk becomes captain of the Enterprise. And I gotta tell you that this show is diametrically opposite of what Star Trek Picard is. This show is just like comfort food. It's like a warm blanket. It is just Star Trek. It is Star Trek, what Star Trek should be. It is a spaceship going around visiting planets and uh, exploring and discovering aliens with storytelling that is a throwback to the original series and characters that you'll recognize from the original series that that are familiar old friends that you're happy to see again star trek stranger worlds is great i'm happy to have it and uh, i sure hope they don't screw it up and uh one last thing the sandra bullock channing tatum movie the lost city premiered this week on paramount plus um, I looked it up. It is at that 45-day point after its theatrical release. So now it's on streaming, and that is a movie I will be watching with uh, my kids tonight. So once again, another win for Paramount+. Plus. They're not necessarily making great content, but they are making content that I will watch. That is very impressive considering where maybe a year ago I looked at the streaming service and we all thought that the streaming service was a joke. It's actually come into its own in this last year.
1: The Law he made $95 million in theaters, so it's a big hit for something that's not a franchise. But wait for it, with the cast oh, like that. Oh, yeah, but soon it might be, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. But hey, good, good to see something like that
0: succeed, though. Yeah, Tim, what have you been up to?
1: Uh, I don't have much this week, but I had a little time to put in a new game that I've seen kicking around for a while. And turns out it was in Steam's early access for a little over a year. And the full release happened recently. Uh, it's a puzzle game that I think is pronounced Romantic and it's D-O-R-F-R-O-M-A-N-T-I-K. One word, though it looks like it's two in the in the, the, the picture for the game, but it's, um, it's a fairly simple game where you are simply placing hexagon tiles to create a landscape. It's almost like you're building your own Catan board Um, The the catch is you have a limited number of tiles to work with, and the way you get more is to complete small missions where you need to connect, say, 20 forest tiles or 10 river tiles and whatnot, and the tiles are not necessarily cooperative. It's been enjoyable and not... Not stressful. It's just you know something to, to do while you know uh, listening to or or watching something else. And you know there's a fair amount of achievements to unlock. It you know it gives you the those um, dopamine hits when you when you do something good. And the music that plays is very soothing. So it was it was nice and relaxing for for a change of pace. And that's something that
2: I've that I've needed. And David, how about you? So. Kim fell asleep on me last night, and since I had nothing else to do and literally nowhere to go because she wasn't moving, I went ahead and speed ran through The Lincoln Lawyer. And what i mean by that is I watched the first two episodes and the last two episodes, so I have not seen it all, but I knew that if I didn't finish it up right now, I probably wouldn't get back to it for another three or four weeks, if not months. So I took my shot and I skipped ahead. And I have to say that uh, I was very, very pleased with the pilot, the second episode, and the episode. Uh, The 10th episode, probably I cheated myself there. I would have gotten more out of it if I'd followed the whole season, Uh, and I I own that. It was a decision I made because, you know, when you have somebody laying on you and you can't move, you make bad decisions. The cast in this is amazing. Nev Campbell plays the first wife of the Lincoln Lawyer. Becky Newton plays the second wife. Uh, One still likes him. The other one still loves him, and that combination works very, very well. And there's also something I anticipated very early on in the pilot that came to fruition, and that character character, Izzy, turned out very, very engaging throughout uh, what I I saw of it. And I have to say it was very, very David E. Kelly in the best possible way. He's just somebody who can tell better legal drama than anyone else on this planet. And his skill here is unmistakable. The throwaway actors in this were Christopher Gorham, who I love from Jake 2.0 and Inside Affair. And I'm sorry, covert affairs. And also it had Jamie McShane in it and it had Angus Sampson, who was so good on the second season of Fargo. This is a terrific cast and they play together really well. Honestly, the winkest link is Manuel Garcia Ruffalo, who I've liked in the Sicario sequel and some other stuff. But he was the weak link here as the protagonist of the story. Everybody else in this, it was A-plus work. And uh, I highly recommend the Lincoln Lawyer TV show.
0: Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week.